You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day smart metabolic burn by brain md can kickstart your metabolism fight stubborn body fat especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease. I think if we can eat wild... Uh, Einhorn wheat. <laughs> more heirloom weird food. You know, eat weird vegetables. And also, you know, if you eat weird stuff like dandelion greens, for example, have hundreds of times more antioxidants than spinach, which we think is so good for us, right? And when they haven't started to mass produce it, because what, so what, if it's mass produced, probably stay away from it. I think eat weird food is the message. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. So I want you all to listen to what my guest today has to say about the food industry in America. We are told that it is our personal choice that being fat results from eating too much and not exercising enough. That blames the victim. The subliminal message is it's your fault you're fat and sick. We may think what we eat is a personal choice that is rooted in our cultural heritage and our family customs. But we know that the food industry designs our food to be addictive, that they hire craving experts that work in taste institutes to create what they call the bliss point of food, all with the purpose of creating heavy users. These are their own internal corporate terms. That was Dr. Mark Hyman speaking to Riverside Church in Harlem, preaching his beliefs on our food system and what he calls an invisible form of oppression which marks a, a pretty strong term to apply to the food system in this country. It's interesting, you're, you're so thoughtful about your words. Why oppression? Because we have a system 
of food that drives so many crises in our world today. And it's an invisible form of oppression because it is driving economic crises through the chronic disease burden, human suffering through the amazing burden of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer, and even dementia, because it is affecting our kids' ability to learn in school, because it's affecting national security and our ability to mount an army because kids are too fat to fight. It's affecting even our environment because of how we grow food that pollutes our waterways and leads to dead zones, that affects climate change because of how we deplete soils and can't hold water, leads to floods. It's, it's just this global interconnected problem that nobody's connecting the dots on, and it's literally, literally causing tremendous suffering and destruction and crises throughout all these sectors of our society. And what people don't realize, it also affects social justice and poverty and violence and behavior. And I think particularly in the poor and minority communities, we see tremendous amounts of these suffering in terms of the disease burden, but it also affects their ability to learn and focus and behave. We did studies, uh, I'm not into the study, but there were studies done looking at prisoners and in Violent prisoners in prison can reduce violent crime by 56% by eating a healthy diet and adding a multivitamin can reduce it by 80%. And that makes you wonder about, you know, what is going on with our brains and our mood and behavior. I had a prisoner once write me a letter saying, I read your book, Dr. Hyman, in prison, changed my diet, and I realized I was a violent criminal because of what I was eating. And now I feel like a totally different person. So you crafted a beautiful book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat, in order to tackle this in a, in, a, in a way that was relevant to the average person listening to us speak right now. And I'd love to give you the platform just to explain at time because much of what you're arguing, sort of standard fare for physicians, but there's some critical places where you differ from orthodoxy. Yeah. And that's where the rubber meets the road oftentimes. That gets people really angry at you. And, and, and I've got so many questions. And the person <laughs> to your left, my beautiful wife, Lisa... Hello. Who, who is uh, who is sharpening the knives as you okay. walk in? I love Mark. I'm I just, love Lisa. She loves you as a person. <laughs> they won't be knives. They might be little toothpick points. <laughs> I'm ready. Toothpick I'm ready. I'm ready. You I'm feel ready. like you're pecked to death by ducks. <laughs> I'm ready. No, I, I, yes, I think that, you know, there's, there's just so much confusion about food, and I think there's so much competing different kinds of research. I mean, even our, our nutrition science is so corrupt because the food industry funds the majority of it, and if you're a food industry company and you fund a study, it's it's eight to 50 times more likely to show a positive outcome for your product. I mean, if you're studying artificial sweeteners and you're the food industry, you're finding 99% of the time it's safe and has no impact. If you're an independent researcher, 99% of the time it's not safe. So we have to be very smart about how we interpret and look at the science. I, I agree. I agree. Oh, sure. She agrees with that. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I'm just trying. I, I think of myself, I don't know. Think of this as a court of law, no, Mark. No, uh, the, only, the only problem is as a consumer, you don't, that's yeah. not, there's no transparency. No. You don't, first of all, you're not, a, you don't have access to those journals unless you go hunting through like mm-hmm. the BMJ. That's tough. Um, and secondly, when you do see the studies, uh, you know, if they're in the New York Times or something, no one says this was funded by, you know, no. the, the meat council or no. the dairy industry or whatever. No. I mean, it's true. I, I was uh, reading an article in Forbes magazine the other day uh, about— um, You. Well, not about me. Well, I had one of those, but it was, it, was, it was actually a woman who worked for the Genetic Literacy Project, which is a Monsanto front group, and was very critical of me. But there was another stu- uh, article about environmental working group's dirty dozen list of pesticides and produce. And he was discrediting the entire uh, work of the environmental working group, particularly on the pesticide issue— and when I went, looked at his bio, it said he worked for Crop Life, which is a sustainable agriculture sort of uh, advocacy group. 
And when I looked at who are the funders, it was DuPont, it was ADM, it was Cargill, it was Monsanto, it was <laughs> all the GMO manufacturers, big food industry. Of course, he's going to be critical of that. And it, and there was no transparency in the article of like, hey, I'm this guy who works for Monsanto and and the pesticide manufacturers. Mark, I just learned <laughs> yeah, that I'm, this, I'm, this, I don't know this to be the case because it's so well hidden, but nine out of 10 rating services mm-hmm. are fronts. Yeah. Which I didn't appreciate, but it's brilliant, right? If you got a, I don't know, you, you, you make glasses, right? And you think your glasses are good, but you can't prove they're better than anybody else's. You're going to say your glasses are fantastic. A bunch of non-competitors are second, third, and fourth. And their biggest competitor, bottom of the list, because they're scumbags. Yeah. And then you, as a news person or a t- TV uh, health show, get a, get a notice. Yeah. Hey, look at this new finding. And right. you know, these glasses are bad and these glasses are good. You should do a show on it. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a rating system. And so I see the depth of perversion. So let's move past that. The reason books are written is because it's a, it's a clear perspective. You own your perspective and you get to defend it. And then people get to either argue with you or argue at you personally, uh, which is often what happens. I know. If hominem. people aren't arguing with you, you're not doing the right thing. So <laughs> one of the claims you're making is that there is no true consumer choice. That a lot of folks listening right now are overweight or feel out of it, and they're blaming the food because they think it's responsible, and maybe they're right, but it's actually not as much up to them as they think about That's the right. foods they eat. That's right. So when you when you look at the message from our government, from the food industry, from our uh, public health organizations, from our advocacy groups like the American Heart Association, Diabetes Association, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they all tell us the same message, which is it's all about calories, all about moderation. There's no good or bad foods. You can have a healthy diet if it includes uh, the right amount of calories. You don't have to worry if it comes from Coca-Cola or from broccoli. And and this message has an implicit threat in it, which is it's your fault you're fat. It's your fault if you can't control your intake. And what we know from the science now is that certain foods are biologically addictive. Michael Moss wrote a a book called Salt, Sugar, and Fat about how the food industry has hooked us. And he interviewed 300 food industry scientists, executives, and peeled back the layer on here. And they found that when when you look at how they design the foods, they design them to be biologically addictive. They hire craving experts who work in taste institutes. They create the bliss point of food, and they create the right mouthfeel. And it's it's a very developed science. In fact, the vice chair Pepsi told me that they have uh, harvested taste buds from humans, and they have them in the lab where they can experiment and see which is maximally stimulated. And so when people think that I can just use my own willpower, it's my choice, and it's my fault if I'm fat, this is a completely flawed argument. And it's serving the food industry. It's, it's not helping the average consumer. And so we need to understand that all calories are not the same, that food is information, that it actually drives biology. They could change your gene expression, change your hormones, change your brain chemistry. And if you eat certain foods, you're going to be addicted. You're going to be eating more, craving more, wanting more. And so we need to sort of name that. Uh, I was just at the Milk Institute where we were hanging out, and the Darius Mazafarian, who's the dean of Tufts School of uh, Nutrition, Science, and Policy, very clearly stated in a group of all the world food leaders that all calories are not the same and that certain calories are addictive, certain calories make you eat more, certain calories make you gain more weight. And it's really the sugar and starch calories, which is really what the whole organization of our food system is doing. You know, I talk about the invisible form of oppression. When you think about the sort of the, the trajectory of how we get these foods, we subsidize the commodity foods, corn, soy, and wheat, which is about 80% of our Subsidies and the others go to meat and dairy. 1% is for specialty crops or vegetables and fruit. And then that food is produced into processed goods. So essentially it's all the junk food that's made from starch, sugar, and, and processed oils. And that then leads to chronic disease. But then, of course, we pay for 
the chronic disease through Medicare Medicaid at the other end. And also we fund the food stamp program or SNAP, which is, you know, three quarters of a trillion dollars, about $85 billion a year for 10 years. That is uh, the main food consumed there is junk food, and $7 billion of it, or the main line item, is soda. So we're basically paying for the growing of the food that's causing us to be sick. We're paying for the providing of that food to the poor, and then we're paying for Medicare and Medicaid on the back end. And then we have all these dietary policies that keep that going, and our food policies keep that going. When we come back, what Dr. Hyman has to say about meat, you'll hear Lisa's rebuttal. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. So I've been saving this question uh, because I get all the policy stuff and Mm -hmm. I'm as angry about it as as you are. But then we start running into specific debates about which foods to eat. That's the practical rubber eats the roads moment. So let's talk about meat. Before we talk about meat, can I ask him just one question about food in general? And not all the policy stuff, but we were just in Italy. Yeah. Nobody's fat. No. And I lost two pounds, and I was eating pasta. everything. Pasta, <laughs> pizza, Aperol spritz. I mean, I was doing yeah. the Italian thing, yeah. you know, and lost two pounds. Yeah. What the heck is going on? In 1950 here in America, people yeah. were eating bread. They yeah. were drinking their scotch, which mm-hmm. is straight sugar, mm-hmm. and nobody was fat. Yeah. So what is going on? It's bigger than just the yeah. types no, of foods we're eating. I agree. I think, you know, our food supply has dramatically changed from— Everything was organic. Everything was heirloom. Everything was grass-fed. Everything was pasture-raised. There wasn't anything else that our great-grandparents ate, right? And then we started shifting after the war to industrial agriculture. We started doing more hybridization of plants. We started doing more breeding, which led to different properties. So we bred for sugar and sweetness and starch and not for, you know, the traditional 
delicious foods that were in, in traditional cultures like Italy. Are they growing different things in yes, Italy? Yes, they are. In oh. fact, they have banned GMO in Italy. Mm. So, in, in all of Europe, in fact. It's banned or has to be labeled? No. They don't allow GMO in Europe. It's just not allowed. Huh. In fact, the New York Times did a review of, of the promise of GMO, which was that it would lead to better yields and lower use of chemicals and pesticides. And they found that it was just was not true. In fact, there was less use of herbicides and pesticides in Europe, and there was better yields than in America. So I think, like, for example, gluten is a great example. So you're eating pasta and pizza in Europe. The gluten here is from dwarf wheat. And dwarf wheat is developed to actually be drought-resistant. The guy won the Nobel Prize, Borlaug, for it. Great advance. But they breed plants, and you add you add the genes together. So there's much more gliden proteins in there. It's also a very powerful superstarch called amylopectin A, which is going to raise your blood sugar more, cause more insulin resistance than the traditional wheats that they have in Europe. Aha. Okay. So I've, I've heard this many times from my patients. People are gluten-sensitive or, or can't eat wheat. When they go to Europe, they can so it's bigger than just what you're choosing to eat. Absolutely. It's actually it's, the type of absolutely. food that we have. Absolutely. And, and then this, you can't avoid it. It's everywhere. Right. And the soils are depleted. And the, So what do we do? <laughs> we need to reinvent agriculture. We need to change our agricultural processes and systems at scale. And I think, you know, it was, was at the Milken Institute, I was talking to, for example, the vice chair of Pepsi and the president of Nestle for USA. And they're all thinking about regenerative agriculture and how do we protect soils? How do we build organic matter? How do we reverse some of the damage that we've done in our food supply? Because it's not sustainable. You know, we... So there, there are some things that the average person can do right now while we're waiting for the world to yes. get smarter. Because yes. reversing what kind of wheat we grow in America is not a small issue. No. <laughs> and we're fighting trade wars now over yeah, these topics sure. because of that. And I've always told my friends in agriculture that we're actually closing off markets by not being more open to the possibility that there's concerns about GMOs. And I'm not, I personally don't even know if there's a risk. I, yeah. I really don't. I just think Americans ought to know yeah. whether we're eating GMO or not. Label it. Then people can decide on their own. Maybe, sure. you know, maybe 99% of people have no problems with GMOs. God bless them. Good. But it's unlikely that 100% of people right. are completely immune to any problems. I mean, vaccines aren't even 100% right. uh, safe, even though I think I'm strongly supportive of them. You have to at least acknowledge that I there agree. are going to be people once in a while who are inadvertently hurt because of what some ma- massive advance you're trying to offer. Which takes me to meat. Okay. And this is an area where I know you and Lisa might mix it up a tiny bit. So I, it's too bad I'm not next to you. Now you'll feel the wrath of what I sometimes feel. No, no, I get it. So meat is an example of... I've been dis- caught in the tailwind of that sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, when, when Americans think about meat, uh, they think about a good protein source. It's, an, it's a valuable part of our diets. If we're trying to lose weight, a lot of folks mm-hmm. try to eat paleo, so meat's part of that yeah. and tastes good, you know, celebration, all mm-hmm. that stuff. But it is an incredibly inefficient source of protein, mm-hmm. and it is unlikely that we can supply enough meat or the desired amount of meat as a protein source to all 7 billion humans. Agreed. So, at some point, we're going to have to come to grips with that reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm thoughtful about it because I know that some people probably benefit today in their health they believe. Mm. And so you're not actually taking away something that's clearly bad for them. You're taking away something that people find better for them because they replace it with bad things. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile that? Well, I think, you know, I, I uh, want to let it be 120. Oh, <laughs> and, I'm going to meet you there. Okay, we'll do it. Well, I'm not coming. Uh, and <laughs> I, I don't want to eat meat if it's going to be harmful to me. And I really was thoughtful about this. I don't want to read what's in the headlines. I don't want to read the abstracts. I want to get the major papers that have been done on meat. And I want to review them. And I did this for my last book. And I took a huge stack in a hotel. I buried myself for a week. And I read everything. And I came up with you know, basically three conclusions. One is there's, there's moral issues which are ethical issues. And if you are a monk, I have Buddhist monks for patients, that's fine that you can eat a vegan diet if you do it right and be healthy. Two, 
There's environmental issues, and factory farming of meat is an enormous problem. Uh, like you say, it's not sustainable globally. We are uh, using 70% of the world's arable land to grow food for animals, soy and corn primarily. We're cutting down rainforests. We are uh, using enormous amounts of water. Probably uh, 30 to 50% of our water is used to grow animals uh, for human consumption. And then the way we're growing the food, using factory farming methods where we're depleting soil, not building organic matter, so the soil can't sequester creating carbon. Creating methane. Right, creating methane. Run off into exactly, our Exactly, run off into our water supplies. We're basically <laughs> creating environmental degradation through the runoff of nitrogen into rivers and lakes, which then uh, fertilize all the algae, which then suffocate oxygen and kill everything. Like there's a dead zone this size in New Jersey and... In, in Gulf of Mexico. And then, of course, we have climate change because we deplete the soils uh, and the soil holds organic matter, which then, in a, in a properly created regenerative agriculture system, will sequester enough carbon to potentially take us back to pre-industrial times, according to some estimates. And then the water, organic matter in soil, can actually hold enormous amounts of water, so we won't see droughts and runoff. So it's a massive problem. So, and then the way, what we do to the meat with the antibiotics and the hormones. Right, of course, and, I yeah. Mean, then, then I didn't get to that part. <laughs> and then, then, yeah, then we have how we grow the meat, which is using, you know, grains, which is not their natural diet, which leads to bad profiles of fat, inflammation, hormones, antibiotics, as you said. And then, of course, the inhumanity of growing these animals in these factory farms. So all those are real considerations. Then there's the issue of, like, what about the health effects of meat? And this is where it gets a little confusing for people because you kind of can watch a, a documentary like What the Health and you think this is the worst thing. It's, like, worse than smoking cigarettes. And other, you know, people say differently. So when I looked at the data, you know, most of the data in nutrition science is what we call population data or observational data. You ask people to fill out a food questionnaire every year. You follow them for 10, 20 years, see what happens. It's correlation. It's not causation. And so... The NIH ARP study showed that, yes, there was an increase in risk of heart disease and cancer with meat. And when you look at the data in that study, they basically were studying meat in a time period where everybody thought meat was bad. So people who ate meat were not healthy. They ate 800 more calories. They smoked more. They drank more. They ate less fruits and vegetables. They didn't exercise. No surprise. Other studies looking at 11,000 people who half of them shopped in health food stores that were meat eaters and half were vegetarians and shopped in health food stores. Both had their risk of death reduced in half. What about that BMJ article that came out last year when it was like half a million people they followed? Yeah. And the pretty much the five top causes of death, period, including mm. being hit by a bus practically, were all meat-related. Yeah, I think, well, really? Yeah, it was like— Five causes? It was, it was, it was like smoked meats and with nitrates were the worst. Processed meat, for sure. Um, and then it was like came down, and then number five was any meat at all. It was well, I mean, the World Health Organization— Look at the data you probably looked at. Yes, for sure. And I wasn't surprised that processed meat was a yeah, concern. Yeah, they didn't say regular meat, though. Yes. Yeah, they, that was number five. They yeah. said it was... In, they, <laughs> didn't, they didn't make a recommendation to but reduce the Actually, in, interestingly, and I was surprised by this. I remember I had, I had to do the Today Show over this topic, mm. and I had to really dive into it because I was surprised. I actually don't know if they were right to make the recommendation, but they very clearly, after doing all the homework they normally do, it's a big you know World Health Organization... Uh, decided that even real meat, regular old-fashioned, high-quality meat, needed to be also uh, Although it wasn't grass-fed meat, right? Well, well I don't, you know, that's the big argument. Does not really make a difference if it's grass-fed or not? You know, it depends who you're talking to. Yeah. But when, I, when I, I was moderating a panel on this, actually, at the Vatican recently, yeah. and Walter Willett, and all these iconic yeah, names, sure. and Neil Barnard was on there. His yeah. presentation was all around... Meat and diabetes. Yes, actually, you know, it's going to be on this podcast, uh, folks. So you can he can hear his own words. Thoughtful guy. He's been a guest on the show as you have sure. uh, plenty of times. And you know his 
perspective on this is that there's a, there's a good enough correlation between meat and diabetes that we should be at least mentioning it to people. The fact that most people don't know about it is in itself mm-hmm. concerning. Because mm-hmm. then I start to think, was it not a real correlation or is it a weak correlation? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the way scientists look at data on correlation studies, it has to be a big effect to be significant. So for smoking, it was 20 to 30 times the risk of getting lung cancer if you smoked. Yeah. That's massive. For we're talking about, for example, processed meat, it's 0.2. Yeah. Unless it's a what we call a hazard ratio of over 2, which means it's a like twofold increase. Doubling. It's not, it's not really likely to be significant, and you see all this contradictory data. And I, I don't think there's a clear mechanism for how meat is going to be a problem. We know the mechanism for starches and carbohydrates with insulin resistance. There isn't a clear mechanism. Now, Mike Royzen, our mutual friend, argues that it gets converted in your gut into a substance that's a vasoconstrictor. TMAO, yeah. Please explain that to everybody. So TMAO is a molecule that gets processed in your gut from certain types of food that can potentially be inflammatory, cause oxidative stress, and has been theoretically linked to heart disease. When Steve Hazen, Stan Hazen at Cleveland Clinic did the studies, what he, what he did was fascinating. He took vegans and he fed them meat. He got them to eat a steak. I don't know how he did it, right? <laughs> but he, got, he must have paid he them corrupted them. And he found no change in these markers at all. But in traditional you know, meat eaters who typically aren't that health conscious, they found there was an issue. So the question, and he says, you know, if you eat red wine and olive oil and balsamic vinegar, you neutralize those effects. It's not necessarily about not eating meat. It's about what your gut flora are. So if you're a, a meat eater who eats, like I do, probably 80% of my diet is plant foods, then that's a very different thing. If you have a high-fiber diet, if your microbiome is healthy, it's a very different thing. So I think we're still in the sort of discovery phase around that. So w- one of the points that, uh, that uh, Neil Barnard mentioned— that wasn't Neil Barnard, I'm sorry. It, it was, was a gentleman. That, but you have to realize oh, where he's Patrick coming Brown. from. You have to realize where he's coming from. He's a very strong PETA advocate. He's an yeah, animal right. rights advocate. Right. So I'm going to leave Neil out There's a bias right. there. There's another gentleman, Pat Brown, who's a you know, PhD at Stanford, uh, you know, the Academy of Sciences. He's on every major U.S. organization mm-hmm. that has the best scientists in it. And he spoke beautifully. As, a, as, a, as an academic phys- clinician who said, uh, or a uh, scientist who decided he was going to dedicate his life to figuring out a better way of making meat. Yes. And he's, he's, he created a company where you take actual the, plant, the proteins of plants and reconfigure them so they actually look like meat, they taste like Beyond meat. Beyond meat? Impossible meat. Impossible meat. Impossible meat. Yeah. So th- without plugging the products, the fact yeah. of the matter is it tastes really good. So when I pushed him on why he would give up his academic career at Stanford to go out and try to do this stuff— he said, if you do the math, uh, ten to- look at all the animals that live on, on, on the ground. It's huge. There are 10 times more biomass of animal in, a, in the cows we have than in all the other wild terrestrial beings put together. Now, I listened to that. I'm going to say it again, everybody. Is that true? Yes. This is what, he, he actually went up afterwards. He's also, by the way, going to be on a podcast, guys. Yeah. So you'll, you'll hear his own words on this. He was so, I asked him about this question. It went on and on and on and on. I mean, the amount of research he'd done to try to figure this out. He was very careful to exclude whales because they have a lot of biomass. You know, he wasn't talking about, you know, domesticated things. He's talking about the wild animals that live on the land masses of this planet are one-tenth because we killed them all. <laughs> we killed them all, yeah. I mean, there should be 60 million bison in America, I know. which is as many cows as we have they're now. All, exactly. They're all gone. And all we have, forget about what he's, after I challenged him enough, he's getting irritated. He said, forget yeah. about that. He said, listen, drive across the country and tell me what you see. Cows. Cows. Sure. You see cows. You don't see, you know, bison running around. But what, 
what's fascinating is you're right. And when before we killed them off about 100 years ago, we had 60 million bison in this country. They were building soil. That's how come we have all this tens of feet of topsoil. They weren't creating global warming. They weren't contributing to all these environmental issues because they were grazing. And that's what these animals are supposed to do. And there's a whole movement of regenerative agriculture, which which is fascinating to me because it, it sort of makes the argument that we need animals as part of the cycle to actually sequester carbon in the environment in the soil by building soil. I think we can do it better. And actually, he, he, the, the Patrick Brown wasn't, it didn't seem to me anyway, against eating any meat. He just wanted to deal with the reality that most people are going to walk out of this podcast mm. and go eat meat. Right. Be honest, guys. I know you're thinking it already. <laughs> I probably awakened you to thoughts of a little bit of sauce on meat. I joked mm. and I call it condom meat. It condom should be a side dish, not a main dish. When we come back, what Dr. Hyman says are the five foods we should be eating. Don't miss this. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. Since we can't sustainably give the entire planet meat. No. And it's probably not in our best interest to only eat meat. You mentioned you're an 80-20 person. What is the reasonable amount of meat? And is there a category of person you'd say, you know what, for you, because you've got, let's say, premature coronary disease, maybe you get no meat. Yeah. I think it really, like you said, it depends on the person, right? If you're very insulin-resistant, you really shouldn't be eating a lot of carbohydrates. If you're type 2 diabetic, for example, which is one in two Americans is either pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, a carbohydrate-rich diet is not going to be helpful. So you have to get your protein from somewhere. And I think, you know, four to six ounces of meat once a day, other proteins, eggs are okay. Other proteins, like plant proteins, can be well-made. I mean, there's, there's innovations around this. Uh, Dr. David Heber at UCLA is one of the top nutrition scientists and. You know, his, his work shows that we actually may need more protein than we think, that the amounts that we 
listed are actually less based on some weak studies that were done decades ago, that we actually may need more than we think, as, particularly as we age. So how we get that matters. And I think, you know, there's ways of making plant proteins more um, sort of nutrient-dense in terms of the ability to build muscle. But we're, we're kind of in this really tough situation where the carrying capacity of the planet isn't allowing us to provide this. But, and, but if I'm hearing you correctly, it's the palm-sized amount of meat yeah, a day yeah, that you're okay with. Yeah, cards. Deck of cards. Yeah. Worth of meat a day. Yeah. So you spread that out over three meals? You could eat it all at once, and you could use other plant proteins, other meals. But I don't think you have to have it. I just think—I don't think it's the enemy. And I think when we really look carefully at the data, it's it's very weak. And there's also interventional data looking at some paleo studies and diets, which show all the biomarkers get better. Lean mass goes up. Body fat goes down. Metabolism increases. Lipids improve. Sugar improves. Inflammation goes down. So we have to sort of combine basic science with— interventional data with these large population studies and, and sort of make, try to make sense of it all. So I'm talking to Mark Hyman, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? is the name of the title of his new book. Very well written, as, as all the books you write are. Uh, let's, get, let's turn to gluten, yes. which you touched on <laughs> as a concern because other than having everyone move off to Europe or another part of the planet where <laughs> yes. we don't have U.S. source of gluten, there are some people who have no issues at all. Yeah. And the, those who want to get off it for whatever reason will often go to gluten-free foods that are processed. Worse. And, yeah. yeah, they're worse. Yeah. So share the advice you have in the book about what people weigh. What the heck should they eat when it comes to wheat? Wheat. Well, you know, the wheat we eat is not the wheat we ate. Uh, in fact, I just I was at this restaurant in San Francisco called The Perennial, which was fascinating. It was a climate change restaurant. It was a how do you eat to reverse climate change? And everything in there was designed to do that. And one of the products they had was kerns of wheat, which is this kind of— incredible wheat that is very different and sort of more of an ancient wheat, and it has a perennial wheat that drives roots deep into the ground, and it's actually probably okay for you. Like sounds, einkor- It sounds illegal. <laughs> and it was delicious. It was delicious. And einkorn wheat or the traditional heirloom wheats. But the wheat we have is, is very high in starch, as I said. It's very high in gliden, which is an inflammatory protein. It also is preserved with calcium propionate that actually makes it potentially uh, neurotoxic, and particularly in autistic kids, we see this being a problem. And then, of course, we spray the wheat with glyphosate at harvest to exfoliate it to actually allow it to be easier to harvest. And that glyphosate has potential consequences. Cancer, it's been linked to another thing. So there's a bunch of issues with our wheat in this country. Um, I think from the point of view of gluten, we have seen an incredible increase in gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. It's well documented. We've seen a 400% increase in celiac over the last 50 years. True celiac, because we had held blood on ice for 50 years, and now we have it comparing it to uh, 10,000 people from today, and we see this real increase. Again, with gluten sensitivity, same thing. And so I think it's a number of things. One, it's the change in the wheat, and two, it's the change in our gut. Because of our processed diet, because of low fiber, because of C-sections and lack of breastfeeding and antibiotics and acid blockers and all these drugs, anti-inflammatories that destroy our gut, we've altered our gut and create more of a leaky gut, which is basically where the outside world gets in through this barrier in your skin, barrier in your gut that should be not letting these bad things in. And that leads to inflammation. So I think that, you know, for people who have any autoimmune disease, people who have digestive disorders, or people who have severe weight and metabolic issues, it's worth a trial of getting off it to see how you feel. And there are a lot of tests you can do for celiac and gluten, but they're incomplete. They don't tell the whole story for everybody. And the best test is stop it and restart it and see what happens. Uh, Alessio Fasano from, from Harvard, one of the world's leading researchers in celiac, has said that even people who are healthy who don't have celiac, who don't have really gluten sensitivity, that the gliden in the wheat can cause this breakdown in the gut. 
and cause this sort of low-grade inflammation in the body. So I, I have great concerns about eating wheat for a lot of people on a regular basis. If you can eat these weird wheats, I think that's probably better. But, uh, you know, minimizing flour is a good idea. And if you want to eat the wheat berries, go ahead. But I'm not a big flour fan because of how it's just worse than sugar. You know, regular flour is actually got a higher glycemic index than sugar, meaning it raises your blood sugar more. That's not a good thing. So if we circle back to your book, What the Heck Do I Eat? Yes. Um, for the average listener, what they're not going to be able to go get this, to this restaurant in San Francisco necessarily. What do they do? What? How? I mean, right now, you, after listening to this podcast, they're probably— Confused, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so why I wrote the book. Do you have recipes in there? Yes, there's recipes. Can, it's a hierarchy of choices we make in our food, right? So— Ideally, we'd all be eating, you know, heirloom food and grass-fed food and everything perfect, and that's just not possible, right? So the first step is to get off of our processed American diet and eat real food, whatever that is, right? The second step is sort of making choices around your individual needs and preferences. If you want to be a vegan, here's how to do it. If you want to eat meat, here's how to do it in a way that's not going to kill you. And and then how do you look at each food that we eat, each category, meat, poultry, fish, vegetables, fruit, nuts, seeds, beans, grains. How do you actually make sense in each of those what the controversies are? Should we eat dairy? Should we eat, you know, raw dairy or homogenized dairy? Should we eat sheep or goat? You know, it was with uh, Darish Mazafarin from Tufts, and he talked about this fascinating study where they took, like, basically cream versus butter. The butter was homogenized. The cream was was not. And he found that even though it was exactly the same food— the homogenization destroys these milk fat globulins that when you eat them don't affect your cholesterol in any bad way. But when you eat the butter, it does. It's fascinating. So same food, same calories, same everything, except the way we process it has profound effects on our biology. So Give me- I answer all those questions in the book, and I go through actually at the end of the chapter, eat this, don't eat that. If you're going to eat you know, meat or cheap, I mean, our dairy or vegetables, what should you be paying attention to? Give me the five foods, surprise us, scare us, as you often do, the five <laughs> foods that we should be eating. We should not be we eating. Should. We should. We should be foods. You just mentioned, for example, non-homogenized cream. I always thought just real half and half, but less, you know, tiny bit in my, yeah. you know, my, in my tea is perfect. It's probably fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, but if you've got, if you've got, you know, non-homogenized dairy, it probably is better for you, right? So, so, so non-homogenized dairy, keep going. Um, what well, I think I think if we can eat, um, you know, wild uh, einhorn wheat, <laughs> more heirloom weird food. I think eat weird food is the message. You know, eat weird vegetables. Eat, you know, I, I, and also you know, if you eat weird stuff like dandelion greens, for example, have hundreds of times more antioxidants than spinach, which we think is so good for us, right? So, and when they haven't started to mass produce it, because right. so if it's mass produced, probably stay away from it. All right, two uh, percent full fat or, or skim milk. Well, skim milk actually makes you gain weight. Is, and, is uh, no milk an option? <laughs> <laughs> no milk is an option. It's my option. <laughs> I think I think we we kind of assumed that dairy was nature's perfect food, and everybody thinks it's so awesome for you. But I would prefer most people either limit or reduce dairy, and if they're going to eat it, eat sheep or goat. Uh, does it make a difference if you're whole grain, hundred percent, or not? It absolutely does. We should be eating whole grains, not whole grain flour products. So you mentioned gluten free junk food. You know, rice flour, tapioca flour. These all sound great. They're bad for you if you eat them processed. So, hey, and do you foods. have do you have nuts in your pocket as I speak? I 
I don't, but I normally do. I have, I have right. my car parked around the block, so I have, a, I have nut butters, I have cashews. I have, okay, just make it And sure. I have grass-fed beef jerky. <laughs> Mark Hyman, <laughs> his book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? His newest book, he's got so many, but this is a really wonderful job of addressing one of the biggest debates out there. I encourage you all to read what he's writing and read people who are writing about him, and then realize there's a middle ground here where you ought to be exploring your best health for yourself. Thanks, Bear. Thank you for having me. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.